Hello, family, and welcome to the Explore the Extraordinary podcast. My name is Betty Guadagno, and today I am joined by Dean Christensen. And Dean is a very intricate part of the IONS Groups and Events family. Uh, he's our production coordinator. He's a huge part of my life. He's guided me into this journey of working with IONS and feeling very comfortable and feeling like I've found a home and a family. And Dean describes himself as a maybe experiencer. And so we're going to have a chat about all things spiritual. And Dean is also a musician. So we're going to talk a lot about that sort of creative action of the spirit as well. And so I just want to thank you, Dean, for being here. I'm going to toss it over to you to share a little bit about yourself with our community. And yeah, thank you for being of service. All right. Thank you, Betty. And um, it's uh, it's kind of fun. I wasn't sure I was going to be a guest on your podcast, but um, this should be a lot of fun today. Um, but yeah, my, my name is Dean Christensen, and um, I live in Gilbert, Arizona. Um, grew up in the Seattle, Washington area. And um, how did I become associated with IONS and with near-death experiences? That's um, kind of a fun story, I guess. Um, I always introduce myself when I'm in our online groups and events and things like that. I introduce myself as a maybe experiencer. So according to my parents, um, usually my mom will tell me that when I was two years old, I had some pretty severe respiratory issues due to um, like asthma and I think it was more like, what do they call it now, croup or um, bronchitis or something like that. But I guess it was pretty severe and supposedly I was, uh, I had to be, um, um, what's the word? <laughs> brought back to life. Um, why can't I think of that word? Uh, but yeah, resuscitated? that's the word. Yeah. Resuscitated, um, multiple times, I guess they said something like seven times I was resuscitated at two years old. And I, I don't remember anything specific. I don't remember, you know, some detailed near death experience. Although I've met people who have had these like complete total recalls of their experience much later in their lives and I always think wow I wonder if I'll ever have that happen but it's not that important but the one thing that I do have a memory of and I always explain this a really easy and quick story to tell but I can remember probably not long after that time period sitting in the back of my parents station wagon back when we had big old American station wagons and seat belts were just not really we had them kind of we used them sometimes and, uh, but it was a pretty common thing to let your kid just go into the back of the station wagon and just play around in the back and, you know, look out the window. And I remember looking out the window and we were traveling along on the road and I was looking at everything on the side of the road. I, even to this day, I have a very clear memory of this. It's, I was looking at things like garbage on the side of the road, paper plates and um, billboard signs and anything that was on the side of the road that was white in color. And for some reason, I had this very specific thought, you know, that that's white, you know, and maybe I wasn't even old enough to even articulate this, but I was looking at something that was white in color and I was thinking to myself, okay, that's white, but it's not the real white. And I, I've carried that memory with me 
you know, ever since I was really young, I remember telling my brothers and sisters and my family about it. And it almost became kind of a, a loving but humorous joke, like, you know, oh yeah, Dean, the real white, the real white, you know. <laughs> and I do come from a, a religious background, and so they definitely believe in, you know, an afterlife and, and that sort of thing. But, but yeah, I've had that memory with me uh, ever since I was maybe two or three years old. And, and then when I was about 18 or 19, um, I came across my first book. Um, it, it just so happens, and um, I don't mind talking about this, I come from a LDS background, which is also known as Mormons. And Mormons are kind of a unique brood of people. <laughs> it definitely depends on who you talk to. But one of the things about um, the Mormon culture is that they were kind of open to certain spiritual things, even if they weren't even aware of it. But they believed in this sort of idea of having spiritual experiences. It was usually in the construct and framework of their own religious theology, you know, and then that would be considered an appropriate religious experience or spiritual experience. But they definitely have a, an element to them that I would consider more spiritualism. And so it wasn't, a, it wasn't an awkward or unacceptable or uncomfortable thing to start reading books on near-death experiences. And it was the first one, I mean, a lot of people are probably familiar with Betty Eady's book, Embraced by the Light. That was probably the third or fourth book that I had read. But the first one was by someone named George Ritchie. And it was, it's called Return from Tomorrow or Return to Tomorrow. Um, it's been a little while and I think I've given the book out a few times. But I was just, uh, I was probably 19 or 20 years old. And, you know, at, at that age, you're kind of, trying to figure things out you've been taught certain things you know about what why we're here who we are you know and our purpose and there were certain things to me that just either either didn't quite add up or maybe that just there were a lot of things that just weren't were still unanswered you know about life after death and and who we are and i started reading these books and i was just fascinated by some of the information um that was coming you know that i was learning about and over the years, for me, in many ways, um, my study of near-death experiences has sort of filled in the gaps for me as far as what I personally believe about our spiritual reality and, and what we are and who we are. Um, because, and, and I, I kind of skipped over the fact that when I started reading that book around 19 or 20, that's I, I began to read more books and I would kind of look for them. I wasn't like reading them every single month, but over the course of, you know, quite a few decades, I had, I had bought a, quite a few books and read quite a few books. Um, but then in the mid 2000s, you know, and, and the internet was um, alive and well, um, this extraordinary time in which we live in, right? I mean, only this time in human history, um, just for the last 15, 20 years, do we have access to information that's just um, would have been inconceivable for millennia of, you know, thousands of years in the past of human history. So we're kind of living, to me, living in a really exciting time. Um, but I just started um, on my lunch uh, hours, you know, in the office, I would go on to um, enderf.org. It's just n-d-e-r-f.org. And there are two former board members of IONS that um, started this website. 
and as far as I know, it's still it's this is still true, but it's probably the largest repository of freely open given near death accounts, and anybody can go on there and they can they can upload their near death experience, and I think there's probably thousands of experiences on that. I mean, there are probably a few thousand even when I went and read it. But yeah, in the mid-2000s, I just spent a lot of time reading um, many, many accounts. And um, this is a, a time, I, I think, like a lot of people, um, we all go through certain really difficult times of our lives and everyone has a different life path. Um, I Just stop me anytime, Betty, if I'm <laughs> going too long. Uh, or if you want to ask any questions or interject. Um, but it was, I pretty much, you know, went on, you know, I was just doing a lot of things in life that, that, that were important to me. You know, I, I, I uh, went on a Mormon mission, came back. Um, I ended up, took me a few years, but I found the person that, that uh, I wanted to marry and she wanted to marry me. <laughs> so we got married and we started raising a family. Um, but in my particular family background, we have a, a history of some mental health issues, like many of us do. Um, I'm not a, I'm not embarrassed to use that term, mental health issues. Um, but my mom had some very very severe anxiety and panic attacks, and back when she had her issues or started having these panic attacks, they didn't really even have proper diagnoses for some of these um, terms. They would just say someone was having a nervous breakdown or something. That was a really common term. Oh yeah, they're, they're just, they lost their mind. <laughs> they had a nervous breakdown and now they're, you know, at home and they can't leave their house. But nowadays we know a lot more about these different um, mental health issues and, and diagnoses. And I probably wasn't always that understanding of my mom. Not that I was unkind to her, but there are times where I just thought, wow, I just don't understand what she's going through. And um, she really went through her own her own Garden of Gethsemane with, with that throughout her life. And I didn't really fully understand that until um, I went to college in Cedar City, Utah. And I graduated from there. And it was a great place to go to college, but not a really good place to look for a good job. And my wife and I, we always wanted to live somewhere. It was a nice sunny climate. So it was a little gutsy of us, but I drove down to Phoenix. I had a little place someone helped set up where I could stay for a couple of months. So I found a job and then I would drive back and forth to, um, I would drive back and forth to um, Cedar City. And then eventually I moved, you know, Karen and, and our two little girls at the time, I moved, we moved them down here. And, um, but because we come from a very traditional background, and I, I'm not remotely putting any blame on my wife, but because it came from a traditional background, we just viewed it as I would go to work and she would she would stay home, and we didn't really that was the way it was supposed to be. But I didn't realize I, I had some anxiety issues, you know, but I didn't realize my predisposition for the same issue that my mom had, and. We'd probably been here a year and I was working at Intel um, here in Chandler, Arizona. And I went into the bathroom and I started to feel really weird. And I just felt like I was dying. I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what was going on, but I just felt like it, 
something wasn't right and it felt awful and, and I thought I was dying and it was bad and um, they ended up calling an ambulance and put me in an ambulance and sent me to the hospital and at the hospital you know they checked me out and um, you know and my heart rate was probably up around 100 120 beats per minute and it wouldn't slow down um, and I it's funny because I knew I had had a couple panic attacks I did let's I had a couple panic t attacks up to that but I didn't know exactly what was going on I didn't know what they were and they stopped and so I just felt really weird and I just didn't connect the dots you know um, but at this time I had this really severe panic attack and it didn't stop went to the hospital they checked me out they tested me um, and they're like oh you're fine your heart's fine you're just having anxiety go home and um, I still was still having a panic attack I, I haven't heard too many people but I know it happens but I literally had a panic attack for about four days in a row <laughs> and I would never wish this on anybody um, it was just like being just the most I would have taken any physical pain, I think, over this experience. It was just uh, agonizing. And, you know, after about four days, I finally got to the right person who gave me a little bit of medication that helped. <laughs> um, but ever after that, I was really, really struggling with this, and I was trying to hold down a, a full-time job. And the only reason why I mentioned I was working and my wife wasn't is because I think I felt an awful lot of pressure on, on me and I didn't realize how much was was on me. You know, we moved to a new place, you know, I was the sole provider um, and I think I was just overwhelmed with, with this pressure and um, a few other triggers that probably prompted this. But also there's a genetic component to it, you know, it kind of runs in my family line. I'm not the only one, my sister deals deals with some of this as well but kind of where I'm going with this is uh, I think we all end up having different challenges in our lives and um, and you know varying degrees I'm not saying mine's worse than somebody else's but for me it was uh, it was a very significant time in my life and I I never ever thought I would be someone that would ever think about suicide or taking my <laughs> taking my own life and by the way I just warn everybody I'm an easy crier so um, it happens pretty easily so I'm just giving you a heads up um, especially when I go back and kind of revisit this time period but um, I tried I was trying so hard and I I still wouldn't say that I was suicidal I wasn't making plans um, you know I wasn't constantly thinking about you know, if if I my life were if I could just end my life, things would be done. But I do remember thinking, at a certain point, I was so exhausted with dealing with this and having these panic attacks every day, and sometimes calling my wife, you know, on the phone while I was at work, going, "I don't know if I can make it through the day." You know, and God bless my wife that she she stuck through all of that. But but I just um, I kind of was at that time where you hear a lot of people say I was at the end of my rope and I just didn't know how I could keep on going on and um, 
I was reading a book, you know, I was constantly trying to read something, find something that would help, and I was reading this book by Norman Vincent Peale. And it was an old, old book written probably back in the 50s or 60s. It was called The Power of Positive Thinking. You know, I'm trying to find ways to help change the way my mind works and the way I'm thinking. I was doing self-meditation and stuff like that, but I was really struggling. And I finally reached a point where I thought, okay, I still don't think I would ever do that, but now I understand how people can get to a point where they would start thinking about that. Um, I was kind of getting to that point, like, okay, now I get it. <laughs> so I, I'm reading this book and he talks about giving his clients this assignment. And the assignment was um, to repeat these two scriptures. And um, I think they're both in the New Testament, maybe both in the, the Gospels. But um, one of them was, and I'm going to paraphrase these very loosely, but one is, um, with God, all things are possible. I'm not sure if the four Gospels are in the New Testament somewhere. So with God, all things are possible. And then the other one, which, um, I don't know, they're both beautiful to me. The other one is the kingdom of God is within you. And he said he would give people this assignment. He said he would ask them to just say that to themselves and repeat it to themselves, you know, throughout the day, you know, repeat it over and over again. And I, I did that throughout this day while I was at work at... Um, Orbital Sciences, it was an aerospace company that I was working for. And um, I remember going out for a walk during lunch and I was still quoting it to myself. And, <laughs> and that night I went to bed and I had this dream um, that, and I'll just explain the dream. Um, and look, I, we've all had dreams and I've had plenty of dreams where they were nice dreams or interesting, but this was to me more than a dream, um, even though it was a dream, <laughs> but something really significant in my life. And so I have this dream that I'm in some type of a indoor arboretum or terrarium uh, where there's plant life, and it kind of replicated the Arizona desert. Um, it was a bit barren even for the Sonoran Desert and actually the Sonoran Desert has quite a bit of life if anybody's been to out in the Arizona desert it's got a lot of life these you know Sararo cactuses all kinds of cactus and um, but in my dream it was some of that but it was a little barren but I was for some reason I was the <laughs> this is where I get a little emotional but in this dream I was the like the custodian of this place and there was one other person that was kind of a custodian, like we were like co-workers or, you know, over this area, whatever that meant. Um, but we were, we were there watching over it. That was our job. And the other person left this, this arboretum terrarium. I never know what to call it, but they left it like they just went for a break or something. And then I'm in, in there by myself and all of a sudden, these two really beautiful, I don't remember distinguishing facial characteristics, but these two beautiful beams of light. They came, they came down and 
they came down in there. They they came down to to me. All right, I'm gonna see if I can take a breath here and make this so you can actually hear it. <laughs> but they came down to me, and they took me, and they lifted me up, and they took me. Uh, they took me out of this this place and they took me out into the solar or out into space which is an interesting thing to happen they took me out into um you know out into this grandeur of space um i don't remember s specifics but i just remember it was beautiful it was you know and it's something i've always identified with like the beauty of you know galaxies and nebulas and all this stuff but it was just beautiful like that and they took me out into this and I, I don't remember them ever like there was not like words talked but there was there was um, there was a message you know that was communicated to me and that message was we we just want to remind you of who you are and what you are and that that you've you've always been a part of this you always will be and and then i just felt this i mean throughout this experience i felt this beautiful you know it's, I, it's the closest thing i would say to what people describe as a near-death experience but i felt this just beautiful unconditional love it was just so pure and so unconditional and I just felt completely um, it was just such a beautiful thing and it was just a you know and, and they're basically just say we just want to remind you that this is who you are and everything is okay you know that you know and, and the message for me was also that you know it's like when we're in this physical world we're separated from whatever we want to call it God or, or from eternity or this the spiritual realm but yeah we come to this physical world and so you know that was kind of part of that message too is that you know you kind of forgot but it's okay we're here to remind you you know but it's okay that's that's you, you are supposed to forget you know I may be adding a little extra but that's kind of the overall message for me and then after that they took me back down into this arboretum um, this like desert landscape but it was indoors in a building and they began to like populate the landscape in that in this place with much more plant life like more flowers and it was still um, you know like indigenous to the desert area which is interesting because that's where we had moved to and now we were in the Arizona desert but um, but they began to just put a lot more you know plant life in there that was very much more lush and pretty and and that sort of thing and um and then they left and of course i see that as a metaphor for <laughs> for them kind of just letting me know it's going to get a little easier <laughs> you know um a little bit you know but uh but you know they're helping me you know that was their way of saying that you know they're they're there and they're helping me and they left, and I remember having this feeling, um, it was just this extreme amount of joy 
about this experience in my dream. I was still dreaming, and I remember waiting, thinking I was waiting for this other person to come back into this arboretum. And I, I just, the one thing I wanted to do was I was just saying, man, you would not believe what happened. It was just so amazing. It was so incredible. Um, I, I just, it seemed logical in the dream that I would just explain this, you know, this instance, you know, in real life, if we did that, someone would just say, you are an absolute lunatic, you know, here in the physical <laughs> earth life, you know, um, and that's what happens to a lot of people having these near-death experiences too, right, is depending on their background and where they come, come from, they come back with these extraordinary accounts and they're like, you know, yeah, I think you've kind of lost it there. <laughs> At least with mine, I can say it was a dream, you know, so, um, but I will say, um, just um, give you a little more follow-up on the story. Um, it was kind of at the lowest point with that issue of anxiety and panic attacks, and it's never gone. It's never gone away. It's always been a part of me, and I've, I have struggled with it. But I will say, after that, for literally weeks and months and months, I just started to feel better and better, and things were clicking. And I had many more days where I just, I just, um, it just went a lot easier, easier than it was. And, um, and, I, and the other thing is that that feeling that I had, that feeling of love, that be, that the, when I, after I woke up from the stream, I mean, I, <laughs> I literally felt like maybe the way people describe someone being a born again Christian or something, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not saying it made me an evangelical Christian, but I just felt almost like. I felt almost washed and anew, and, and I just this feeling of love was with me. I just felt like it was it, it wasn't leaving. It was just with me every day. I would just think about the dream just for one second, and it would all come back. Um, but I, I that also helped me, I think, um, go through some recovery during that time with this issue, and um, so that kind of lingered. It doesn't really. Now it's kind of been so long, I don't feel that every day, but when I go back and I tell the story, I mean, you can kind of, you can kind of tell, even to this day, it, it makes me, <laughs> it's a very um, precious thing to me. It's a very special experience. So, <laughs> anyways, I wish I could tell that story without getting all boo-hooey, but I love you expressing your deep emotion while you share this sacred experience with others, you know. Um, sometimes I get like a little envious when people can like sort of tap into that feeling. Uh, I think that it's so beautiful just to be able to express like the love that you felt in that. And yeah, there's so much like metaphor behind that dream. And, um, and I, I love that your experience came to you in a dream because I feel like that's planned as well. You know, like, obviously I'm a big advocate for pre-birth planning, but I think that some people do choose different ways to have their spiritual experiences for fear of judgment. Like how you just explained, like if it happened to you, like eyes open, you might be like, okay, I'm too scared to tell anybody because I'm scared that they're going to, you know, like judge me or, you know, like people do judge. And, um, and so, yeah, the fact that you sort of had that extra layer of safety saying like, this is a dream, but you know, like this is a dream too. <laughs> this waking reality. <laughs> yeah, so I've heard. 
Yeah. Yes, yes. It's also a dream. So uh, yeah, I love it. It's kind of interesting because um, I, I am a little envious. It's funny you'd say you're envious, but I'm a little envious of people who've had their near-death experience and for obvious reasons, right? For some of these people, it's like, hey, there's no doubt for me I was there, you know? Um, but for me, it's a dream. It was, still was a very, very powerful experience, um, but it still was a dream. And so I could easily doubt that if I wanted to really go down the road of skepticism. And um, I don't know 100% for sure, but I truly believe that it was inspired. And it was for me at that moment in time. I will say too that, um, as you know, as you, you and I were talking, well, you know this because we've talked about it many times about the passing of my parents. And since they passed, I've had three dreams. Um, and for some reason, dreams, are, that's what they do. They play this role in my life when I'm at certain, like, um, what's the word, like crossroads or points of your life. But um, if you want me to talk about my folks just for a moment, okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting story, but um, both of them uh, passed away in 2021, December of 2021, on December 28th um, of COVID. Um, and... It, so COVID was a very real thing for us. <laughs> so, you know, don't come talk to me about any conspiracies about COVID um, because I'm not the right guy. Don't talk to me about it. But um, it, it's kind of interesting too. Coincidentally, I got COVID and my wife got COVID about three weeks before my, my parents got it. Um, we live in a different state, but that's how widespread this um, pandemic was. And um, I mean, in they were staying in my sister's house, living with my sister, and it got brought home into that household and it spread throughout the household. But coincidentally, we got COVID about three weeks before that, and it was by far the sickest I can ever remember being. Uh, I, unfortunately, I didn't have to go to the hospital, but um, I had a fever for about 12 days, like 103 fever. But I think the timing of it was interesting because I was, I was over COVID, and because of my anxiety and panic issues, I can't imagine going up to to Utah where they were living without already knowing I had had COVID and, you know, and that was, I had, you know, the antibodies for it. I would have been really, really stressed with some pretty severe anxiety. So I had gone through that and I was, had already recovered. It had been about a week or two and I had already kind of finally was starting to recover. And then, and then it entered the household where my parents were staying. And they, um, they both got sick. My dad got sick first and they had to take him to the hospital. So he went to a hospital in Layton, Utah. Uh, and then my mom, she got it a couple days later. Um, but we had some in-home care for her already. But then we had to finally take her to a facility and she ended up going to, a, I guess it was called like a COVID specific facility. So my um, sister um, was able to go visit my mom a little more often than my dad, which was a tragic part of COVID, you know, was this thing where people were pretty much dying in hospitals alone. I think that's probably the, 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 the hardest thing for me to have gotten kind of get through is knowing my dad pretty much died by himself. My sister was able to go see him once in basically a big hazmat suit. Um, about three or four days and I was able to talk to him on the phone before he became 
more, you know, more before he came incoherent and unconscious. But um, it's the interesting part about this is that um, <laughs> I'll add a little humor in this story too. So my mom, she was about six months younger than my dad, and she used to always joke around. She's like, "Oh, your dad's gonna die before I, or before I am, because." That way he'll be there ready to meet me, you know, when I die. You know, they have pretty strong beliefs about, you know, the afterlife and, you know, but yeah, he'll die before I do so he can, he can come meet me. And, um, and I remember seeing my mom about two months before we drove up there and visited them about two months before they passed away. And my mom had some pretty severe memory issues, but after about 15 minutes, she finally remembered me, which was a pretty, pretty awesome thing. And, um, but she was sitting next to my wife, Karen, and she was talking, her daughter-in-law, and she was talking to Karen. She goes, I know you from somewhere. I think we went to high school together. But, but in, in that conversation, she always goes, you know, Ron, her husband, my dad, she goes, Ron's about three years older than me and he's going to die first. And then he's going to be there and meet me. She would just tell the story all the time. And, um, but yeah, they were, she had the years wrong or the distance apart. But sure enough, they both died. They died on the same day, um, December 28th. And when we got the death certificates back, they had died 13 minutes apart. And um, I like this. I'm not a numerology kind of person, but I do like little synchronicities. Um, I don't dismiss it. I'm just, it's not my thing. Um, but. They were married on September 13th, and I remember it was Friday the 13th, if I remember correctly, and some people were kind of joking around, like, that's really bad luck to get married on Friday the 13th. But it's interesting, on their death certificates, it showed they were, they, that my mom died 13 minutes after my dad, and um, it was literally after they said goodbye to my dad and they were driving to where my mom was, that's when they got the phone call. Um, she'd been unconscious for quite a few days. But I just love the idea that they were so close together. And we, in this NDE community, in the spiritual community, we talk a lot about this concept of um, maybe making some of the plans on our own, you know, and this, I've heard this term a little more frequently lately about planning exit points. And I like the idea that my parents maybe had planned that out. You know, it was pretty extraordinary to think that, that they, they, you know, they left this world 13 minutes apart. I mean, other than a car accident or some kind of an accident, that's just a really super rare thing. Um, and so I think personally that that it was some type of a, you know, you know, it was maybe pre-planned, something like that. I love the idea and I love the idea that that my dad was able to just immediately go over and then meet my mom. You know, I love that idea. And the other thing I was going to mention, um, speaking of the dreams, that's kind of where I was, I guess, going with this, was that it was pretty hard for me. As you can tell, because I'm an easy crier, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty sensitive person. Um, I, I like use the term touchy-feely. I always have been. Um, you know, not that I'm like easily offended, but I mean, I just, I just, I feel... I heard people say, oh, you're an empath. I'm like, okay, maybe. <laughs> but I definitely feel things, I think, pretty intensely sometimes. But for me, it was really hard when my parents left. I, I felt 
um, almost like a little kid that was left, you know, like I have no parents. I have, you know, they were kind of an anchor in a lot of ways, even though their health was declining um, over that last couple of years. Um, you know, they were always my parents. And I really went through a hard time after their death. I felt really alone. Um, I guess for me, I felt kind of a bit of a dark place. It was about eight months after my parents passed away and I had my first dream. And it was a dream where my mom was there and she was just standing somewhere and she wasn't talking, but she was there. And she was just looking at me and smiling and I came running up to her. And for some reason, my other sister, Cindy was there. And, um, and I was so excited. I'm like, Cindy, Cindy, you've got to come see. Mom is here. I can't believe she's here. I mean, in my mind, I knew she had passed away in this dream, but she was there. And I, it felt so real, you know, in my dream. And I was excited. And she was looking at me. And my mom, she never said anything, but I could just feel like, like her energy, you know, almost like I could feel. My mom was a very kind of innocent, sweet personality in some ways, almost childlike um, kind of a submissive, but very sweet person. And I could just feel that, you know, that energy. It was like, I could feel it. And, um, and then, and then I had another dream a few months later and it was my mom and my dad. And I kind of felt the same thing. I felt the energy, but probably time went on and it probably been, gosh, a year and a half. And I always felt like, man, I just never really felt like I had anything from my dad. Um, and, um, this was, I don't know, it's maybe been going on a year now. I had this dream where I was at church and it's funny cause I'm a musician and I like playing live, but I, the idea of speaking in church is, is, uh, something that I have a lot of fear of. I don't, I don't like doing it. And, uh, but in the Mormon culture, you know, that's what they do. They ask people to speak and they prepare talks and, but in my dream, you know, the bishop of the congregation is like, hey, Dean, we'd like you to stand up and just say a few words, you know, maybe just from your heart. I remember just saying, like, from your heart. <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess I guess if I can just get up there and wing it, you know, and maybe just say something nice, you know, that I, I was feeling, you know, something spiritual. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a very super theologically devout Latter-day Saint, um, but I knew I could probably say something. Um, let's put it that way. So I get up to the pulpit, I'm standing at the pulpit and I'm looking out and it's almost like, um, like a, a camera lens you would see would isolate one person and then the rest of the, the people I could, I knew they were there and I could kind of see like their blurry outline, but only one person was sitting in front of me about 20 feet in front of me. And it was my dad. And he was, he was just, my dad was a very formal guy. He was like a very, by the numbers, you know, ex-military guy, you know, he always wore his tie to church. He always had a suit on, um, you know, it's just part of the LDS culture too. Um, yeah, although it's gotten a little more liberal in the last while, but, but yeah, but then my dad's sitting there and he's just sitting back in the, in the pews and he's just smiling like this. And he's got a button-down, like a button-down blue shirt on. Um, and he's not saying anything, but he's just smiling. And I could just feel him like, you know, like, I'm really proud of you. <laughs> you know, and 
but I think that was it. You know, sometimes my dad could be a little intense. Um, he was a good man, but sometimes he could be a little intense and, um, you know, and, and strong and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But it, he was just so relaxed and he was just like, and I could just feel that energy. And I, I remember thinking, wow, you know, I was so excited to see him. But to me, that symbolism of him here being in this normally, you know, he'd be wearing a suit and tie. He's just relaxed in a in a button-down shirt, and he's just smiling. And I was so excited I was going to run down and, and talk to him, and then I woke up. But it's funny, all of these dreams for me were parts of this therapeutic experience of kind of overcoming this grief. Um, I don't know what it was, but each time I had a dream, it just made it that much easier to where I wasn't thinking about it every day. It just wasn't bothering me anymore. So it was something that, that was very helpful. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. Um, I love the symbolism that comes to you in dreams, you know, because I think that it's important to not discount that kind of stuff. You know, like I, I usually keep a journal next to my bed just in case I wake up in the night. And, and you know, like when you can vividly remember a dream, it's not a dream, it's a message. And I hear that all the time. It's actually a message. And it's just a, a good way for our guides to get to us because we're unconscious, you know, like there's too much going on throughout the day and we can get really distracted and not see the signs. So um, something that you mentioned that, you know, struck me, well, you talked about being a musician and I know that that's like really where you shine and I want to make some space because you're going to, you agreed to play a song for us. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, and yeah, again, I just I want to thank you for your vulnerability, like your vulnerability and, and your willingness to be emotional because, you know, like these experiences, they impact us in our life so much. And um, and I just think that it's really brave and, and it's it's true authenticity just to sort of like allow yourself to be how you are, to feel how you are. And um, it gives me courage that I can do the same thing. So I really appreciate you for for being that way. And um, do you maybe want to share a little bit about like how spirituality and music sort of like work for you? Like, do you feel spirit yeah. when you're being creative with music? Yeah, I have a really diverse musical background. Um, I don't know if background's the right word. You and I have talked about this. Sometimes I worry because... There are times where I'm attracted to some music that's a little um, heavy or maybe a little darker. I like things sometimes that are a little more melancholy. I don't know why sometimes that, like, if you want to like relate to old stuff, it'd be like Pink Floyd. You know, some of that's a little, but even with Pink Floyd, there's like little spiritual nuggets in there. Um, but I have an interesting thing because I'm kind of attracted to some of that music, but then I also listen to like um, ethereal ambient music all the time, you know, um, and especially if I'm having a lot of anxiety, I will listen to, there's an artist called Liquid Mind, but um, but lots of different artists like that. I mean, nowadays we have at our fingertips, we can listen to anything we want, you know, and, and so we have a, just an extraordinary cornucopia of selection, right? But But I do listen to a wide variety of music and I do listen to ambient music and um, I've had a few experiences where, um, yeah, you know, I actually wrote this song. I think it's still out on um, YouTube. It's not the most well-produced song, but 
Um, it's called Surrender. And, you know, I was always pretty close to my mom, or at least I always, my heart was always a mama's boy, I guess. Um, and I was probably thinking about her, and I remember going to bed one night um, playing just some chords, and I thought, well, these are really nice chord progression. That's how songwriters write. And um, for me, it's always a chord progression first. And I thought it was really nice. Um, but I, I, you know, I was kind of dinking around with stuff. But I didn't really come up with any sort of vocal melodies or anything, but I liked the chord progression. And then I went to bed, <laughs> speaking of dreams, I forgot about this, um, but how apropos this is. Um, I, in my dream, this was before I woke up, but I was having this dream that I could hear this woman singing. It was just like this really hauntingly beautiful melody and they were singing Surrender. And it was just this really beautiful melody. And it's the only time this has ever happened, but I, I literally got up, as soon as I woke up, I grabbed my guitar, I started playing that same chord progression and that melody just fit perfectly with that chord progression. And I don't think I've ever written a song quicker than that. It was like within 30 minutes I had written the entire song and I always felt like it was kind of a cross between whatever you believe about Jesus, you know, this concept of giving your life for somebody else. Um, you know, surrender was that concept. But I also was feeling like my mom, because I, of everything she had been through with her mental health issues, you know, she'd really suffered many times. Um, I'm not saying we had very great family life experiences, but she did suffer a lot during different times with this. And so a lot of that too was kind of channeling this love for my mom and how much she surrendered, you know, to to help us, you know, as a family, you know, how much she gave up in her life, you know, many times. So yeah, um, and I've had a few other experiences where songs have come together, but that's the only time where I've actually literally heard the song in a dream and then woke up and wrote it. Um, I still think it's a really pretty melody it could probably be re-recorded at some point, you know, but um, but yeah, since my parents have died too, I, I usually joke around because I, I used to play at a coffee shop every week and I would say that music is my therapy because it truly is. I mean, it has been one of the things that's been super helpful for me dealing with my anxiety issues, which is ironic, right? Because I go out and play public gigs, but it's always a challenge for me. But um, but uh, but yeah, songwriting and music is just a very therapeutic thing. And I've written three songs. One song I wrote before my mom passed away when she was dealing with memory loss issues. And that's called I Remember. I, I played it before, you know, when we've had our creative connections, you know, online. I'll probably do it again, but I just haven't played it in a while. So I'm a little tentative to play that song. Another song that I wrote is Fine. It's called Fine. And I think I'm, that's the one I'm going to play here, so hopefully it sounds clear enough you can hear it. And then I wrote a song for my father. Um, I don't even remember what I called it, but it's a nice song. I think it's a lovely song, but I haven't played that in a while. But I play this song fine quite often live when I have these venues, or I mean these um, gigs. And um, it's interesting because my sister, I guess we're a dream family, but I was writing this song, you know, and it was kind of me processing some of my grief and that sort of thing and thinking about my parents and um and i asked my sister like if you had any 
experiences recently, because it was pretty fresh at the time. It had only been three months since they'd passed away. I said, have you had any experiences? And she said, yeah, she had a dream that mom appeared to her. I don't remember if my dad was there. The mom appeared to her and said something like, just remember that love in you is the love in you or, or the love in me is a love in you or something like that. And, um, you know, and so I ended up writing that in this song that I'm going to play. It's in the bridge where I say, um, and I had a dream that you appeared to me. Now, I, I can't remember the lyrics exactly unless I'm singing it, but basically appeared to me in, in white light. And you said that the love in you is the, the love in me. So... That's great. I love you chatting about how you can use creativity as a tool to guide you through your grief. So yeah, yeah let's um, set you up for this song. And thank you for being willing to share your creativity with us. Well, All right. This song is called Fine, F-I-N-E. <laughs> so it's, I'm fine. So, but yeah, I wrote this um thinking about my parents passing.
Thank you so much for sharing your art with us. As you were singing, I was, yeah, I just kept getting hit with sort of like these waves of gratitude for soul family, uh, community, you know, like the synchronicities that bring us together. Um, so much gratitude for this community at IONS and um, just like having you be a part of my journey. And um, we're going to put all of your links in the liner notes of this um, episode and our, our sharing groups and, you know, like where you can find us just to hang out with us. Uh, Cause we, we definitely are big parts of this community. And um, I just want to thank you for coming out and being so vulnerable and, and especially sharing your art. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. And also Dean's music is at the end of this episode. When you listen to our little outro and intro music, Dean also wrote that music. So you get a lot of, a lot of Dean Christensen music today, but I just want to say thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to share to feel more complete about our time together? 
You know, I would just like to say I'm grateful that I've gotten to be part of your soul family. Um, and I remember, you know, how long has it been? Three years, maybe? Yeah, I remember meeting you at one of our sharing groups. And I immediately just thought, I really hope that she, I would really like to have you come and work with us with IONS. And it's been a fantastic um, experience, you know, knowing you and working with you. And I humbled by your story and what you're doing. We talked about, um, we've talked many times in our production team about doing a podcast. And we talked about different ways of doing it and, you know, different, you know, sort of concepts. And it never quite materialized, but I just kept having this feeling that if you are ready, that this is where we should go, you know. And so then I became your biggest cheerleader. Well, we had lots of big cheerleaders for Betty, but um, but I'm really super grateful that you're doing this. And I know you're the right, you're in the right place at the right time. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for believing in me and believing in the mission and, and yeah, being such a big advocate for this podcast to launch. And um, I love being able to give all, you know, like the, just the space to have all kinds of experiencers come and share, you know, like you don't have to have had a near death experience to share on this podcast. We want to hear about all mystical experiences. You know, like today we talked about dreams and grief and creativity and those are all parts of the spiritual journey too, you know? So I'm really grateful for your willingness to come out and serve. And um, we'll see you next time. Be wavy. <laughs> <laughs>